loss coming to number one team in their building, oh, it's easier for him to tell his kids that he's not playing for a national championship? It's cold, too. It's really cold here. <laughs> it is so cold. <laughs> Uh, but that's going to wrap things up for this uh, lively edition of Extra Points. I'm sure we'll talk about this over the next few weeks leading up to Michigan's Rose Bowl on January 1st. So for Christian Montgomery, Stu Zoss, Rob Salomon, Ted Pickus, and Tony Bolton, I'm Steve Schuster saying good night and go blue. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The sports department would like to thank you for your continued support of the University of Michigan Student Radio. Moss knocked over to Tambellini, winds up and he scores! Just Tambellini lets a laser go from the near side circle, and the Wolverines take a 1 0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Tambellini. Everybody, if you like soul, soul music, and funk, funk music, then join me, your host, Robert Wells, as I spin OG jams every Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m. on The Hop. Tune in, and you can bet your bottom dollar you'll hear songs Stop playing the wall. Everybody do the hop. Every Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Only on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. talking, assuming that we are on the air. Ah, voila. Well, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and my partner Jim Dwyer uh, has school obligations tonight, so he'll be joining us next week. The hop. <laughs> it's kind of what happened in the polls yesterday. By the way, I knew Michigan wasn't going to make it when I saw the uh, AP and uh, UPI uh, polls released in the afternoon. Uh, that was why they had a ready, willing, and able cheering crowd down in Florida. And there is something uh, interestingly political about what happened uh, with this uh, d development. Uh, first of all, I don't think it's the end of the world. Uh, the Rose Bowl is a pretty good consolation prize. And, of course, what we have to hope for is uh, 
a piercing of the myth that somehow the SEC is the best conference. <laughs> so uh, everybody get ready. Uh, root for Minnesota. <laughs> root for Purdue. Root for Penn State over Tennessee in particular. Uh, root for Nebraska to upset Auburn. <laughs> root for Wisconsin to beat Arkansas. And, of course, root for LSU to narrowly defeat Notre Dame. Uh, since USC and Michigan both clobbered Notre Dame, that would further uh, corroborate uh, the Big Ten's uh, superiority. And, of course, root for a blowout uh, in the uh, national championship game. Urban Meyer uh, did a lot of political campaigning. For the national championship in football, quite frankly, I would have rather seen a mud wrestling match between Ken Blackwell and Katherine Harris. There is some uh, something ironic about the fact that Ohio State is going to be playing Florida. Uh, they always call Ohio State the Ohio State University. Uh, j ironically, I'm from the Ohio University uh, that's in Ohio. That's where I grew up. And believe it or not, they're playing in a bowl game for the first time in almost 40 years. So that's really exciting for me personally. So I may have more interest in the Ohio game uh, than the national championship game. But, of course, politics was involved with this decision. And I just want to give a brain damage award out to the – this is a classic example of uh, what we call the media bandwagon at play. Lloyd Carr is a modest guy. Uh, he wasn't out there campaigning for Michigan, and Urban Meyer was. And, of course, all these sportscasters, all these pundits claimed, oh, there shouldn't be a rematch. Well, why not? Everybody knew that Michigan and Ohio State were the two best teams in the country. And this is the further reason that there should have been a rematch. A couple of weeks ago when they played, the Michigan-Ohio State game drew the highest television audience for a regular season game in 13 years. 13 years. This is the best college rivalry in football. Why not see it again? You're guaranteed a great game High TV ratings. So let's hope the national championship game is a flop. And let's hope that Urban Meyer has to eat some <laughs> humble pie. And on that note, we'll uh, move on to uh, the more typical gray matters fair. But uh, I think it's an unprecedented development in which the uh, universally recognized number of uh, uh, two team in the country is supplanted by the number four team. I thought it was a travesty that USC went ahead of Michigan the week before. Uh, this just hasn't happened. And uh, the media bandwagon is what is responsible for this travesty of justice. And uh, we'll just have to beat Ohio State next year. Well, bye-bye Bolton. We won't talk about Cotton Mather uh, finally recognizing the fact that he... Uh, just isn't the man for the job at the United Nations. And a litany of brain damage awards for our president, Mr. Bush. He went on a little <clears throat> foreign uh, trip last week to uh, various countries, and his performance was pathetic. Um, I don't know if anybody saw the video of Bush's massage of Angela Merkel, uh, the chancellor of Germany. That was unbelievable. Bush, the towel snapper that he is, snuck up behind her and gave her a massage while they were, of course, having a NATO meeting about 
bolstering the troop presence in Afghanistan that, of course, has been in the news recently because of the resurgent Taliban, as well as a new report out today that the uh, Taliban, uh, Taliban or the uh, Afghan um, security forces are not up to the job. Many of them turn out to be illiterate, <laughs> uh, and many of them don't quite understand any of the uh, details of international law. We've also this past week had memo mania. Uh, this is fascinating. Uh, of course, on the eve of the uh, bush Maliki summit, that of course was shortened to one day versus two days, uh, it turns out that uh, we, we had this famous me- uh, leaked memo uh, from Stephen Hadley, uh, in, uh, who is now currently uh, George Bush's national security advisor, in which uh, he makes this startling statement. He writes, but the reality on the streets of Baghdad suggests Maliki is either ignorant of what is going on, misrepresenting his intentions, or that his capabilities are not yet sufficient to turn his good intentions into action. And I thought, wow, that is an absolutely perfect description of George Bush. I couldn't be uh, summed up any better. So uh, my question about the memo was, uh, is Hadley really talking about Maliki, or is he talking about our president? Because that is exactly the problem with uh, Mr. Bush. Um, he is living in clueless land, or as uh, Frank Rich jokingly yesterday uh, noted, has he started talking to the walls? Uh, because he is divorced from reality over in uh, Riga, Latvia, he was uh, claiming that al-Qaeda is somehow responsible for the violence in Iraq. Uh, this is uh, pure nonsense. Uh, certainly, al-Qaeda in Iraq several years ago contributed to the violence, but it was actually the incompetence of the American uh, occupation in the early, uh, the first year under the uh, so-called uh, civilian provisional authority that really is responsible for the violence in Iraq, uh, you know, uh, dismissing uh, the army and uh, purging the uh, government of all Ba'athists created many of these Sunni insurgents. And needless to say, the Sunni insurgency, which we've talked about down here before, is hardly monolithic. So talking about al-Qaeda is uh, preposterous. Uh, there is certainly an element of al-Qaeda involved in the insurgency uh, in Iraq, but uh, it uh, goes much further than that. Meanwhile, of course, the debate about whether or not this is a civil war seems to continue onward. Uh, then we, of course, have the Rumsfeld memo, who apparently, uh, on the eve of his uh, inevitable dismissal, proposes that major adjustments be made in Iraq. Well, indeed, uh, these major adjustments have been uh, required for quite some time. President Bush is living in a sort of delusional fantasy about what is really going on over there. And it's fascinating, by the way, uh, to read a uh, sort of brilliant analysis of this uh, situation, the Iraq War, the Iraq Civil War, the Iraq Insurgency, call it what you will. But uh, Mark Danner... Uh, has an article entitled, Iraq, the War of Imagination. 
Ostensibly, of course, he's reviewing three books. Uh, this is in the uh, New York Review of Books, dated the 21st of December, probably its most recent edition. Uh, and um, he's uh, reviewing three books here, uh, one of which I've actually read, and two of which I've read uh, generous excerpts from State of Denial, The 1% Solution, uh, State of Denial by Bob Woodward, The 1% uh, Solution by Ron Suskind, and The State of War, uh, A Secret History of the CIA and the Bush Administration by James Risen. Uh, the latter, by the way, being um, sort of a national security count, uh, correspondent for the New York Times, who, uh, as I recall, broke the story about the uh, wiretapping um, irregularities uh, involving uh, Bush and FISA. Uh, this is an excellent uh, analysis of what has gone wrong in Iraq in the past, and it gives the American people, I think, a more uh, useful insight to what Bush's real goals in Iraq really are. Uh, down here, we have, uh, of, on gray matters, of course, have rejected any idea that uh, we're in Iraq to promote democracy, though that, of course, uh, morphed into a, uh, a strategy after the fact of the invasion. What emerges, of course, is that Iraq, uh, as Suskind points out, uh, was discussed in the early days of the Bush administration, well before 9-11, that is invading Iraq. And the primary uh, impetus, just to quote a memo here, from the 1% election, uh, 1% uh, doctrine by Ron Suskind, the primary impetus for invading Iraq, according to those attending the NSC briefings on the Gulf in this period, was to make an example of Hussein, to create a demonstration model to guide the behavior of anyone with the temerity to acquire destructive weapons or in any way flout the authority of the United States. Uh, this demonstration model, of course, was part of Rumsfeld's uh, ideology. And what emerges, of course, from the collective consensus of these books, and by the way, I have read uh, uh, the uh, Michael Gordon Bernard Trainer uh, book that uh, confirms much of this perspective, that uh, <clears throat> power in this uh, war essentially lay in the Defense Department with Donald Rumsfeld and with Dick Cheney in the vice president's office. Uh, George Bush was sort of a clueless bystander uh, who didn't really understand what was going on, and his national security advisor, Condoleezza Rice at the time, uh, sort of worked as a, I don't know what to call her, a briefer of the president. She didn't really perform her job as the National Security Council Act of 1947 envisioned as a sort of uh, interagency uh, bulwark uh, against uh, the Pentagon's uh, goals uh, for uh, uh, um, creating war. At one point, of course, the um, United States justifies the uh, invasion of Iraq on the so-called weapons of mass destruction, uh, we found out early on that this uh, was a cover story. Uh, even Paul Wolfowitz uh, admitted as much in a Vanity Fair article shortly after uh, Bush declared mission accomplished back in May of, of 2003. The other um, 
explanations for invading Iraq, if you can believe these. And this is from a uh, internal, uh, uh, what, what is this called? It's the um, the National Security Presidential Directive entitled Iraq Goals, Objectives, and Strategy that was prepared and signed by President Bush on August 29th, 2002. Note that this is uh, before any congressional resolution on the Iraq War. Note that this is before any uh, real discussions before the United Nations regarding uh, the situation in Iraq. This does come after some briefings with the British uh, in which the internal British memos now indicate from various memoirs that the uh, intelligence is being cooked uh, and that uh, war in Iraq is inevitable. So all of the sideshows that President Bush went uh, through uh, during the next uh, six to seven months were a window dressing for a policy decision that had already been made. Just to read this startling document, um, dated, again, August 29th of 2002. By the way, this came just days after Dick Cheney uh, sort of had thrown down the gauntlet in his famous uh, VFW speech about why uh, Saddam Hussein had to be uh, overthrown. Uh, this directive uh, states, U.S. goal, free Iraq in order to eliminate weapons, Iraqi weapons of mass destruction, their means of delivery, and associated pro programs to prevent Iraq from breaking out of containment and becoming a more dangerous threat to the region and beyond. We'll get to that one in a second and Iraqi threats to its neighbors to stop Iraq's government's uh, tyrannizing of its own population, to cut Iraq's links to and sponsorship of international terrorism, to maintain Iraq unity and territorial integrity, and liberate the Iraqi people from tyranny and to assist them in creating a society based on moderation, pluralism, and democracy. Following up, it says the objectives to conduct policy in a fashion that minimizes the chance of a weapons of mass destruction attack against the United States, U.S. field forces, our allies and friends, to minimize the danger of regional instabilities, to deter Iran and Syria uh, from helping Iraq, and to minimize disruption in international oil markets. This document is uh, absolutely startling in its uh, profound ignorance of the situation in uh, the Middle East at the time and what was actually going on. The notion, by the way, that Iraq would, quote, break out of containment, uh, becoming more dangerous to its region, is preposterous. Uh, at the time, the United States had a um, no-fly zone in collaboration with the British, in which Iraq had eff effectively been partitioned. The United States, of course, was working with uh, renegade Iraqi uh, groups, and, of course, it emerges uh, from uh, the collective wisdom and analysis of these books that the uh, United States was actively uh, promoting a uh, theoretical Khalibi government that was uh, being championed by Dick Cheney. Don't call me Mr. Burns. And that this Colaby concept um, was absolutely unbelievable in its 
ignorance of what was going on. Kalabi, by the way, had not even been in Iraq, uh, as I recall, since 1958. Yet he was being promoted by various uh, elements uh, within the Pentagon, within this sort of milieu of Rumsfeld-Cheney people. Because it emerges, of course, that Rumsfeld and Cheney are sort of like Castor and Pollux. They're twins. They're peas in a pod. They go back to the Nixon administration and the uh, so-called Office of OMB. And, of course, they were promoted into power by Gerald Ford. And they participated in the so-called Halloween Massacre uh, in 1975, in which George Bush, the father, was placed in charge of the CIA. James Schlesinger was fired as defense secretary with Donald Rumsfeld taking over. And Dick Cheney was elevated as assistant national, uh, excuse me, uh, assistant um, chief of staff to the president to chief of staff of the president. Uh, This Halloween massacre, of course, is significant in its, uh, uh, going back and checking this out historically, is significant in, in how Cheney and Rumsfeld have been Uh, like I say, two peas in a pod, and that as one historian noted, uh, Dick Cheney's entire political career has been about serving Donald Rumsfeld. (laughs) This is remarkable stuff. And, of course, it explains uh, George Bush, uh, the clueless one, Um, and we'll uh, reiterate that Hadley memo that, uh, and I'll just substitute uh, the word... Bush for Maliki, but the reality of the streets of Baghdad suggests Bush is either ignorant of what is going on, misrepresenting his intentions, or that his capabilities are not yet sufficient to turn his good intentions into action. Well, indeed, that is a perfect description of the debacle in Iraq. Uh, George Bush, the clueless one. Uh, There's one very illustrative um, anecdote uh, from the issue regarding post-war control of Iraq. Uh, Colin Powell, as this article by uh, Mark Danner notes, is the so-called Cassandra who keeps warning um, about, you know, the reality of what goes on here uh, when you go to war. He, of course, advised Bush in August early September of 2002, after he found out uh, that there were uh, Iraq war plans that were a gathering storm uh, in the Pentagon, and that the uh, people behind the Iraq war plans were Dick Cheney, Don Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, Doug Fife, and others, he warned Mr. Bush specifically about breaking the pottery uh, the Powell Doctrine, of course, was ignored in uh, going into Iraq. But there was this amazing story uh, after, shortly after uh, Saddam Hussein has been toppled, and Colin Powell goes to a meeting in late April to uh, discuss with President Bush and Condoleezza Rice the, quote, vital steps of Bush's plan to transform the Middle East, quote-unquote. 
And, of course, this details the uh, fact that Jay Garner had just arrived in the country. He was temporarily put in control of the occupation. Uh, By the way, he was shortly replaced by Paul Bremer, whose first two decisions as uh, chairman of the Civilian Provisional Authority, the CPA, were to uh, disband the uh, Iraq Army and uh, debathify Iraq's uh, civil servants of all bathists, which, of course, contributed immediately to an insurgency. He was warned, by the way, not to do this by uh, career uh, CIA and military and State Department officials on the ground. Paul Bremer's uh, expertise in uh, running an occupation government, uh, he'd been an assistant to Henry Kissinger and an ambassador to the Netherlands. <laughs> now, the, ne- the Netherlands, of course, is probably one of the most uh, civilized um, former imperial powers of the world. It's a small country, uh, rather peaceful. It's been invaded a number of times. But getting back to this uh, this description of this meeting, Colin Powell comes into the o- uh, Oval Office to discuss the occupation with the president, who is joined by Condoleezza Rice. And I'm quoting from Danner here. He, he writes, Powell began, writes Woodward, quoting Bob Woodward's book, by raising the, quote, question of unity of command in Iraq. He says there are two chains of command, Powell told the president. Garner reports to Rumsfeld and Franks reports to Rumsfeld. That's uh, Tommy Franks. The president looks surprised. That's not Rice. That's not right, Rice says. That's not right. Powell thought Rice could at times be pretty sure of herself, but he was pretty sure he was right. Yes, it is, Powell insisted. Wait a minute, Bush interrupted, taking Rice's side. That doesn't sound right. Rice got up and went to her office to check. When she came back, Powell thought she looked a little sheepish. That's right, she said. Uh, This is astonishing. Uh, This is incredible. This is a high-level policy description in which the president and this national security advisor have no clue about what the next step is. And, of course, as these books detail, um, the uh, game plan, uh, as concocted by the Pentagon, was to have um, Ahmed Kalabi uh, in the so-called War of Imagination in which Donald Rumsfeld, and I'm quoting here from Mark Danner's, dream of a demonstration model, a war of quick, overwhelming victory, did not foresee an extended occupation. On the contrary, the defense secretary abjured publicly and vociferously any notion that his troops would be used for nation-building. Rumsfeld war envisioned a rapid victory and a rapid departure. Well, this is what is true about the history of Iraq. Here we have Donald Rumsfeld, who, as I recall, wasn't actually even asked point blank by the president whether or not we should go to war in Iraq. And he's pretty much been given his marching orders. And he, of course, envisions the Iraq war as this demonstration model in which he can somehow um, prove his uh, his uh, goal, his ideal of transformation of the military. Uh, and indeed, that part of the war worked wonderfully. The problem, of course, was that the Colaby plan, which uh, was part of the Pentagon's plan, uh, was, uh, as uh, uh, Mark Danner points out, uh, 
uh, all kinds of problems with it. Kalabi was a Shiite, as were most Iraqis, but he was also a secularist who had lived in the West for nearly 50 years and was close to many Pentagon civilians. Alas, there was one problem. The confirmed idealist of the White House was, quote, adamant that the United States not be seen as putting its thumb on the scales of the nascent Iraqi democracy. Kalabi, for all of his immense popularity in the Pentagon and in the vice president's office, would not be installed as president of Iraq. Though Bush's commitment to democracy was laudable, as James Risen observes, his awkward intervention was not really the answer to the question of post-war planning. He goes on, quote, once Bush quashed the Pentagon's plans, the admin administration failed to develop any acceptable alternative. Instead, the Pentagon realized the president wasn't going to let them install Kalabi. The Pentagon leadership did virtually nothing. After Kalabi, there was no plan B. This is remarkable. This is, uh, you know, at ambitious war plan that's supposed to serve as a demonstration model in which our goals in the region are to rid the region of weapons of mass destruction that, of course, didn't exist, that uh, we were to uh, attain uh, and prevent regional instability by ending containment, which is amazing because just the opposite has happened. By ending the containment, um, we've created regional instability. And as uh, uh, King uh, Abdullah of Jordan just pointed out uh, in this uh, summit that Bush just, just completed last week, there's three civil wars that are uh, about to emerge in the Middle East if things don't rapidly get into uh, out of disarray, which they clearly are. The notion that going into Iraq would somehow deter Syria and Iran is just totally backwards. <laughs> Saddam Hussein was kept in power by Bush's father and by Dick Cheney, ironically, precisely to deter Syria and Iran. Uh, if you recall, in the first Gulf War, Syria actually helped the United States eject Saddam Hussein from Kuwait. And, of course, all uh, real politic experts pointed out that Saddam Hussein's uh, existence in Iraq, uh, though he was brutal and... Uh, certainly a war criminal of the first order, uh, served as a regional bulwark against Iran. So the war in Iraq has hardly deterred uh, Syria and Iran. It's emboldened uh, the both of them. So we have a president who not only doesn't understand who's going to take over uh, in the post-war uh, so-called unity of command that uh, Colin Powell is so concerned about as Secretary of State, which is interesting, but here's a president that uh, doesn't even have a plan B. In other words, after the Kalabi, uh, well, I don't even know how to characterize Kalabi, but he uh, certainly went nowhere. Um, there was no plan B. So plan B, of course, became the Paul Bremer operation uh, that has been fraught with uh, incompetence and uh, all sorts of problems. Uh, all the experts have noted, by the way, that Ricardo uh, Sanchez and uh, Paul Bremer, quote, uh, barely spoke to one another and hated each other. Well, we are out of time down here on Gray Matters. Certainly more about this in upcoming weeks as Bob Gates' hearings 
occur later this week. We thank uh, Yelchin for engineering. Do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.